So we've an extraordinary story for you now, right? My next three guests are what's known as foundlings. And I, I know it's an old fashioned sounding word, but it refers to people who were abandoned. Uh, again, a kind of an unfortunate word by their parents, usually at birth. So Helen Ward and John Dowling were both left in phone boxes as babies while David McBride was left inside a doctor's car. Now, they all went on to be adopted. They had happy lives. But then, as adults, against all the odds, they found each other and discovered that they're all full siblings. And not only that, but they now suspect there may be a fourth sibling. Helen, John and David, you're all very welcome. And Helen and John are here with me. And David, you're uh, with us on the line from Birmingham. Yes, I am. So listen, will we go back to each of your origin stories maybe first? David, you were born first in 1962. What do you know about your earliest days? All I know about my earliest days is that on the 16th of January in the evening at about nine o'clock, a lady went out to her car and she found me on the front seat. She then immediately went to and took me from the front seat put me on a kitchen table, went to speak to a neighbour and then I was removed from there and moved to a the hospital in Belfast and then a couple of days later I was moved to a children's home in Larne. And you were not found in any kind of a diminished state, you were, you were well looked after and all that. How old were you at that point? I was, they reckon I was between 10 and 21 days old and I, I was well cared for, well fed left with a warm bottle, uh, wrapped in a blue blanket and placed in a tartan bag. So, John, you were born next in 1965? I was born in uh, 1965, around the 1st of May 1965. Okay. And I was left in a phone box in Drogheda. And I was found by a man by the name of Paul Murphy and a friend of his that were coming back from a John B. Keane play. And um, Paul picked up the phone and he rang the guards and the guards came along then and they took me away and I went to the Lewards Hospital in Drogheda and I was there for maybe a couple of days and then I was moved on to St. Patrick's Guild in Dublin Okay. where I was adopted in by uh, my own mum and dad. And again, well looked after. Very well looked after, yeah, yeah, yeah very well yeah. looked after. Yeah. And Helen then, you were born in 1968. What do you know about your early days? Um, <clears throat> I was found in a phone box on Monday, the 11th of March, um, in a bag, tartan bag, in a green tartan bag, by a lorry driver who stopped to make a call. And I was brought from there to Louth County Hospital. And the following day, I was brought to St. Joseph's Baby Home in Stamullen, County Meath. Is it still hard to say that when you say it out loud? Yeah, sometimes I think um, it's very hard to get your head around how um, a mother having after having a baby, because I was only two days old, um, you know, would dress you in a beautiful handmade dress, wrap you up in a little cardigan, wrap you up in a blanket, put you in a bag on, you know, blankets and put a bottle beside you and put you at the end of a phone box. If that was who put me at the end of the phone box that particular night, it is very hard to get your head around it. I, you know, as a mother myself, I would. Yeah, I just cannot get over it. Yeah, but done with a, a strange love and care as well. It feels like with with all of you. There was a lot of um, care and thought put into um, where we were all placed. 
um, because I was very close to Louth County Hospital. John was very close to the Lords and Drogheda and David, then he was placed, he was very close to a police station. So they knew that somebody would be find us and care for us pretty yeah. quickly. And David, you kind of all along the same um road there, Dublin to Belfast, and then a, a, a tartan bag in common with, with two of you, the warm bottle of milk. Was your mother deliberately leaving a kind of a trail to connect you all, do you ever think? I, I think she possibly was leaving a kind of trail to connect us, but sadly, with the way Ireland was at the time in the north and south, they never they never put thing two and two together and came up with four. Yeah. So, um, how and when then did you find out uh, about being a foundling, David? Do you, do you mind that word, foundling? It doesn't really bother me to be okay. truthful. At the end of the day, it's just it's just a label that people attach to you. Yeah. Don't get don't get het up about it at all. Okay. And how did you find out, David? Yeah. How did you find out the the circumstances? Like when? Um, I find out my circumstances in, um, I went to, I knew it was adopted, but I actually find out it was a foundling when I went to get a birth certificate. And that's when um, I realized that I was a foundling and my father explained that to me. And that happened when I was about 15 years of age, when I was leaving to join the army. And John, how did you find out? Uh, I found out in 2013. A friend of the family was a social worker and uh, she had asked me, did I ever go searching for my real mum? And I said, no, I hadn't. I didn't even know how to go about it. And uh, she said, do you want me to have a look into it? And she did have a look into it. And uh, she discovered that I was left in the phone box in 2013. And does that change everything in your head when you find out something like that? Uh, It knocks you back a bit. Yeah. Uh, Because like you always have this thought in your head that your mum must have been a young woman and uh, that you were just left abandoned like so I don't know how now I, I describe it to you but it, I was a lot older at that stage so yeah, it, was, okay. it wasn't yeah. too bad like because yeah. like I had a very happy childhood and I never actually even thought of going looking yeah. to be quite honest with you yeah. and um and yeah, go on. Yeah, Helen, do you remember finding out? Yes, so I found out in 2003, I was around 35, um, I was on the second leg of my search and I met with the social worker in Drogheda. Uh, but that particular day that I went in, I was on a mission to find my birth mother and I think in my head, I she did say about being left in a phone box, but I was kind of wanted to find the, the bottom line. I wanted to know who my birth mother was. Yeah. And it did take me a while to really for it to really sink in that I was a foundling because it's like the impact of it is huge. Yeah, it's it, it, really it's yeah. emotional. It still carries with you and with the extended family, as so to speak, you know, your children and stuff. Um, for years, it's a. How does it affect you? Well, I suppose again, there's always those questions: why? And that's the hardest part, yeah. you know. You, the rejection end of it—that's the hardest part of it. Um, 
and just the whole emotional end of it. You know, you try, you, you know, you, you put it to the side and you get on with your life. But you do keep dipping in and out of it. And I think on our journey, which has spanned over five decades, you know, it's those unanswered questions of why, you know, the unspoken conversations that we will never have, you know, yeah. can be difficult. So, but then, and initially, you thought you were alone in this, and and so, David, you uh, then went on an ITV show called Long Lost Family. Is that right? Um, yes. What happened was that um, I have a my adopted sister knew that I'd worked previously with the researcher and done some work with the researcher of the program previously. And I'd seen a version of the program with foundlings and she contacted me. And so in the end, I ended up contacting the researcher, Ariel. And Ariel said, yes, send us a DNA test. She then contacted me back a few weeks later and said, can you send me another DNA test? We think there's a problem with this one. At that point, I thought to myself, well, actually, they must have found something. But Helen knew about me before I knew about Helen. How come? Well, my DNA was up on the site in 2018. I was given a gift from one of my best friends, Emer, for my 50th birthday. And then on the 7th of July uh, uh, 2019, I got a call while I was sitting in the car from the researcher for ITV um, to say that um, they had made a discovery with um, the DNA and mine matched in with another person. And you have a full sibling. That must blow your mind, <laughs> does it? Oh, I tell you, my mind was well blown that particular day. <laughs> I mean, I sat like, I don't know, in awe in the car saying, what? Um, it was the strangest thing. Because again, as John said, we all, as individuals, I suppose the picture that was in our mind was, we have, you know, been put up for adoption. Maybe our birth mother, she must have been a young woman, couldn't cope. And we were all put up for adoption. So that's kind of the picture yeah. that, that I had painted. And I think John had painted and perhaps David. Um, and then suddenly, you know, out of the blue, you get a call to say, you know, you've got a full sibling. And I never really thought in between it all that I was... As I said, I was on the search for my mother. Yeah. Never really thought about siblings. Yeah. And then, oh, my God, it was the most, it was the craziest thing. It was the most exciting. Yeah. It was the most mind blowing. I was rattling in my boots and my stomach and my head. I tell you, my, I, as I can describe it as a cocktail of mixed emotions. So then, so were you and you and David went on the show, were on the show together then, yes? So he had met in... In 2019, in October. So yeah. that was from July to October before I got to meet David. What was it like meeting him? It was wonderful. It was wonderful. Now, it was very nervy and everything like that because you were being filmed and yeah. everybody was around you with cameras and everybody was looking for your reaction. But as soon as I walked into the room, it was like I totally forgot that yeah. everybody was there. And I remember that day so well. We both sat down. I walked in. I think I had a, a photo album with me and he must have had some pictures as well. 
we sat down after we had embraced and everything like that. And, you know, we just got lost in the moment, just chatting about our lives, who we were, you know, just looking at each other to see, did we look like each other? Did we not look like each other? Did we talk like, you know, just yeah. all of those things. It was all came at once, a whole burst in newness. And then, John, your daughter, Donna, yes. was watching this programme in Australia. Yeah, in Australia. And um, she rang home. And she said, Dad, I've watched this uh, long lost family program of David and Helen. And um, she said, did I see it? And I said, no, I didn't. So uh, she said, look, will you try and see it? She said, um, would there be any chance that you do a DNA test? And I said, Donna, listen, <laughs> not really, I said. And uh, so she convinced me to do a DNA what test. What did she see? She saw, uh, she watched David in particular. And she could see that both of us walked very much alike. And that David's hands were like my own hands. Right. And uh, she, she was adamant that uh, there was some connection there. So we did the DNA test. And I think I got the DNA test back in Easter weekend. And I was sitting at home and I used to go on the computer just to see where the atom coming in on it. And uh, all of a sudden I turned it on um, this particular evening. And here it was that David and Helen were full siblings of mine. Wow. And David, do you remember the first time you do a course, the first time the three of you got together? Yes, I remember that. We were in um, Banbridge in up in Northern Ireland and the first time we met it was it was quite surreal, you know. It was surreal meeting Helen and so exciting and so wonderful, but then to find out that I also had a full brother and it was just wonderful meeting John. It, as soon as we met one another, the three of us, it was as if we'd just been together all our lives. Was it? Brought up together. Wow. And are you and are you and John similar, David? Um, I think there's few, there's quite a few similarities. There's obviously quite a few differences, but there we are pretty similar. I think our what we enjoy in life is very similar. Um, our personalities, I think, are pretty similar. Uh, so there are a lot of there are a lot of similarities between me, Helen, and John, which must be incredible to see. when you presumably thought you were never going to meet uh, somebody who was a blood relation of yours. Yeah, that's true. I mean, at the end of the day, you, you as Helen said, you just think you're the only one. You have this story in your mind of of an individual who's a, a young lady who's left you and under certain circumstances. And then once this all happens, that sort of gets shattered. So, but you know, it's the most joyous feeling to have a brother and sister. And the best part about it is, is that we get on so well. Yeah. Which a lot of brothers and sisters couldn't say the same thing, but yeah, <laughs> there you go. You're lucky. Um, That's very true. Helen, did you, did, what did you learn about your mother then? And like, he must have talked about that and there must be a lot of complicated feelings there. Yeah, it, um, I suppose once we've kind of found each other, once we discovered then that our birth parents were unfortunately not alive, but we had a surnames. So then we could do a little bit of research so um, a friend of mine kindly got together with another friend and um, we put together the D or the family tree on my mother's side. So we were able to build a bigger picture um, on my father's side. 
some of the half siblings had come in to help um, give us some information so we can learn, you know, different bits about the background. Um, it does take time, you know, to build relationships up. It does take time to learn things. And again, this is such a sensitive area because you're not just dealing with myself, John and David. You are dealing with the fact that we have 14 half siblings um, the the emotional impact all of this has had on them. So there's a great respect to have with everybody that you're dealing with, you know, and it does take time. This journey, as I said, has taken five decades to get to all of us meeting and it'll probably take just as much time again um, well hopefully not as much um, to gather a lot of the information that we need and you know we are doing it because it's so important for us to find our identity yeah you know something that for most people it's a given but for us it has been a complete mystery you know, and any little piece of information you hang on to. And then sometimes, you you know, you're trying to look outside the box to see, you know, what you can really make of it. Are we hearing everything? Are we not? You know, we're almost like private detectives at this stage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And when you say it that way, that most of us can take all this for granted, like, but it's such. Absolutely. A- and, and the biggest thing is there still is that, you know, element of shame around Ireland with the the fact that, you know, our birth mother wasn't married, then she was with a married man. There is that all that sense of old Ireland there as well. Yeah. You know, so you're dealing with quite a lot. It's a huge emotional journey. But the one amazing thing is that myself, David and John have the support of each other now. We're not just taking it on single handedly. Like, like the whole thing was you know, I was going out, I was dipping my feet in, I was running back because, oh God, what have I done now? What will I find? What will I won't find? But it's so much easier that we've got the support of each other. And that's, you know, going from a single person, so to speak, to now being part of three in a family and having the support is huge, absolutely huge. And has it all helped you to understand a bit more your birth mum and why she might have had to do it and to have some... Is it sympathy? Would that be the word you'd have for her? I I think we would have sympathy for her. Um, The situation here is that our birth mother was obviously unmarried. She was a Catholic. And um, our father was, was married with quite a few children and he was a Protestant. And they met and fell in love. And... They broke all the taboos. They broke all the taboos in the country at the time. The culture would not have accepted us as children. And so it must have been a very difficult situation for, for both of them. And in, in real terms, them giving us up probably gave us a better chance in life. Yeah. Because we probably would have been shunned in society at that time because of our background. So, And the one thing we have to take on board is that actually our parents cared for us because they cared for us for a number of days and we were very healthy, very well fed, very well taken care of. So I think that looking back in it, I think that it was pretty much planned that they thought that we can't keep the children um, simply because what life can we actually give them? And so the best thing for us to do is to try to arrange for the children to have good lives. And the only way I think they could do that was to actually leave us in telephone boxes and a car because at that time it was a criminal offence and they would have ended up going to prison. 
Yeah, yeah. There's even a text here. Uh, texter says, my son was found under the seat of a train when he was one day old. I'm eternally grateful to his birth mother for trying her best to put him somewhere he would be quickly found. I think she she did her best. And it, that's you're nodding, Helen. Yeah. That's how you feel about your mum. She yeah. clearly did what she thought was best for ye. Absolutely, absolutely. And it is lovely that people come in with their stories as well to give, you know, there's, there is a circle of us all out there that have been are found. There, are, are there a lot? Um, I, I, well, you know, I suppose for us, we have just tried to, we have put, looked for foundlings in Ireland. We've come across a few, not a huge amount. But then again, you don't know the full stories. Sure, it's very hard. So to, it's like looking for a needle yeah. in a haystack yeah. at the best of times with mm. the, these things. But uh, you think potentially now, there's a fourth, David. Yes, we, we do think there's a fourth. There was a baby found in 1963 in Newry. Again, the road from Dublin to Belfast and the circumstances of the baby being found and the, the background to it seem to fit in line with um, our three findings. So we do believe that this baby may be connected. It may not be connected, but we have got a strong feeling I mean, Helen is the one with the intuition in of the three of us. And Helen, <laughs> when me and Helen were together, she told me a story about this baby that was found that happened to be John. I actually thought she was a wee bit loopy at the point in time, but she <laughs> proved to be right. And the actual information we have on the Nuri baby may indicate that there is a connection to us. Okay. So now, obviously, this is hugely sensitive for 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 this person, whoever they may be, and potentially listening now and everything. Like John, you you were kind of reluctant yourself. I'm getting to to kind of do this. What would you say to that fourth sibling? Well, what what I would say to that fourth sibling is, uh, look, potential fourth sibling, potential sorry, fourth yeah, sibling. Yeah. Uh, take a take a chance, take a leap, fate and uh, maybe go and get in contact with us and it can be done in privacy and maybe get DNA done and we can rule it out, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Helen, you, you could see how a person might kind of be in a way kind of afraid of this. Absolutely. <clears throat> I mean, as you can see, our journey has taken so long. This person will have to think about it. It will be, you know, I don't reckon anybody will just come straight on board straight away because they're going to have to think about it, the impact it's going to have on them. But if they're like us and looking for information um, on their their background, if they've discovered that they are this baby that was left in Uri, well, look, at you know, we're there to, you know, have the conversation. And as uh, John has said, you know, to rule out whether they are or they aren't. But there is, I suppose for us, there's just such a, you know, a, a great strength in the all our stories that are similar. And for us, we have to put an appeal out, you know, um, yeah. and hopefully that they will come forward. So how do you know about this person and what do you know? Well, we know about it from uh, somebody contacted me and said, did you see this um, article up on an old Newry site um, of photographs from newspapers and stuff like that? And basically the article like popped its head to me, 
you know, saying baby found in phone box. So, I mean, I was drawn in straight away. And then I got in touch with both David and John and David looked into it a little bit further and um, uh, he did all the <laughs> the groundwork on that. Um, okay. And um, we kind of, um, what would you say, we tried to contact the person that put the article up to get some information um, we contacted the people who found the baby initially. Now, the, the, the man had actually passed, but his family had given us some information. And I suppose with all that information, we've kind of just tried to, we've just got so far and we can't get any further. OK, so the next move is kind of up to the potential. Yeah, and it's just and to give another foundling an opportunity. Yeah where we have found that there's been so many barriers in front of us trying to get information, you know, whether we are part of their family or not. Well, I think, as John said, that conversation, you know, could either rule it out or we'll welcome him in. And it's clearly been so rewarding for for ye. Um, Paul Murphy was on. Uh, John, that was the the man who phoned you, and Sorry. he wants to say that when I phoned John Dowling in Drogheda, a man named Pat Bailey was right. was with me, and Pat Bailey has now passed away. That's correct, yeah. You know yeah, that. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's interesting what you say, Helen, about um, somebody gave you a, a DNA test for your birthday. Like, A, I presume all these freely available DNA testing and these websites and everything, they're going to shine a lot of light on so many uh, secrets in a country like Ireland, aren't they? (laughs) B, I'd say, no, you were obviously in the right space for it. You wouldn't be springing DNA tests as a gift on people, would you? Generally? <laughs> well, everybody, everybody. Clearly, a person needs to be in the, in their right mind and the whole of their health to want to go into but this because you don't know what. Forty for Christmas, you know, to pass out. To <laughs> <laughs> Spit in that, <laughs> but no, like I mean, I think there it is such a sensitive um, area. I do think the DNA is really important and it has been very important for us. And I think for so many people in this world today, with all the displacement and everything like that, it will be even more widely used. You know what I mean? Um, But I do think, you know, it can be kept private as well. You can do your DNA under another name. You know, yes, you might. It might come up on the site to say, yes, you are a full sibling, but we don't we might not get to know who that person is. You know, so so it can all be done pretty privately. And we, as I say, we're all very private people. And, you know, we're just out searching and hoping that, you know, if this person is part of our family, well, then we're giving them the opportunity to come in. And to change their lives. And to change their lives. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, A lot of texts. I am the second child of my birth mother. My birth wasn't registered with the state. I'm trying to be generous to my birth mother, but I find it difficult. And I I would say that is a it is a a difficult, complicated journey to come to understand uh, your birth mother. My beautiful aunt and uncle were in a mixed religion marriage in the 1940s in Ireland. It was taboo and caused loads of trouble in the church, town and family. And and you're saying that, uh, David, saying that about your parents, like what options did they have? Um, As an adopted person who's recently discovered my siblings, everything your three guests are saying resonates completely. Even though most adopted people were taken as opposed to abandoned, the resultant loss of identity and family is exactly the same as your wonderful, insightful guests say. The very best of luck to Helen, John and David and... uh, 
it's someone else says a heartbreaking story. I do feel for the poor parents and what they must have gone through. Fair play to the three siblings speaking today. They are a credit to themselves. And someone else said fair play to John's daughter, Mary says, uh, for, uh, and a story full of, of love and joy. So look, uh, you've set up an email address. If anyone wants to contact you, it's family three. That's the number three dot info at gmail dot com. Is that right? Family three uh, number three dot info at gmail dot com. And we will put that up on our website. And look, I really hope that you find the, the, the fourth and that it's, it, that it's a happy outcome in one way or another. But in the meantime, I think everyone agrees that we, everyone's really glad you found each other because it's yeah. clearly been such an extraordinary thing. And thank you so much for being so generous with, with sharing your story today. Helen Ward, David McBride and John Dowling. Thank you and best of luck, guys.